Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. So tonight we're going to speak about the heart of the subject, the heart of our, of our theme, which is greatness through process, the preparation. The preparation that God takes us through and the process, the unique process that God tailored for you and I. Each one of us is different. Our callings are different. Our destinies are different. And so God has a unique process tailored just for you in order to prepare you for what God has prepared for you. And to lay a foundation, we're going to read from Psalm 66, verses 10 through 12 from the New King James Version. For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But, thank God for that but. <laughs> but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Praise God for that last sentence, or else it would have been very depressing. All the things that we went through, the fire and the water and the net and all of that for one purpose, to bring us out, to refine us, into, bring us out into rich fulfillment. Let me say this, the height and the majesty of any building is determined by its foundation. The taller the building, the deeper and the stronger the foundation needs to be. The foundation will determine how tall, how strong the building will be. And it takes years sometimes to prepare a solid foundation in the believer's life. The stronger the foundation will be, the taller you will become in the kingdom of God. And so the kind of training and the kind of preparation we receive from God himself, either direct or through his delegated authority, is determined by the call that God placed on your life. The call of God, your destination, destination, your purpose will determine what kind of training, how severe your training will be, so that you can fulfill that which God has called you to do. Even though John the Baptist was filled from the, with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, 
he still needed to submit to God's process of preparation and development before greatness was released through him. Just because we are born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and we have gifts flowing through us, that does not mean that we are mature believers. We need to go through a process of training, through a process of being discipled, through a process of being prepared, of maturing, before the treasure that is within is released on the outside. And people can see it, they can feel it, they can sense it, and they can receive the benefits of the treasure that God has placed within us. So John's preparation was done in the desert. That's the best place to train a disciple. You see, there are no distractions in the desert. It's just isolation and loneliness, and it's just you and yourself, and amen. No cell phones, no TV, no distractions. So God took John in the desert. He was willing to remain in hiddenness, in silence, and in the desert until God prepared and equipped him for greatness. One could say, I believe, that the deserts if you study the scriptures, is the school from which every believer, every disciple must graduate before he or she can move into fulfilling the divine assignment that God places on our lives. And we see that throughout the scriptures. The process of preparation is vitally important, my brother, my sister. Yet few realize it. And as a result, only few graduate from the desert. That is why the word of the Lord says in Matthew twenty-two fourteen, Jesus said, many are called, but only few are chosen. Why? Because few are willing to submit to the process and go through successfully. Hebrews 10.36 For you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God you may receive the promise. You have need of endurance or patience so that after you have done the will of God and gone through the process and have been submissive and obedient to the Lord you will receive what is promised. And many try to rush God's process. They get in a hurry. They want to get out there. They want to make things happen. And they get out there in the flesh. And they run ahead of God. Only to be met with disappointment and failure. Moses knew in his heart. Long before God sent him into Egypt. That he was called to deliver his people from the hand of Pharaoh. He had it in his heart. It was there. The call of God was in him. 
and he tried to do it in his own strength and he failed miserably and God took him in the backside of the desert for 40 years until he was ready, until he was equipped. So if we want to achieve greatness in the sight of the Lord, we must submit to the process God puts us through for however long it takes. Because it takes more than just physical, mental, or emotional strength to fulfill the will of God. It will require primarily spiritual strength and fortitude. Mental and emotional strength is not enough. Physical strength is not enough. When the enemy comes against you with all that he has, you've got to be able to have enough fortitude within your spirit man to stand and to stand strong and to stand tall in the midst of all that the enemy throws at you. And that takes spiritual fortitude. And we need to develop that. That's why we need to submit to the process. No matter how painful it is. To the flesh. It's always painful to the flesh. And God will put you into situations that your flesh does not like. It will rebel. Wants to get out. Lord, I can't take any of this. I recall in the early years of my struggles... When persecution arose against me, when I started ministering to the Greek people, the bishop came against me. The, the elders of the Greek Orthodox Church, they maligned my name. They threatened to kill me and all hell broke loose. If God had not done a work of preparation in me, I would have folded, I would have caved in. But by the grace of God, and due to the preparation that he had given me in the word for seven years, I was able to stand strong. And no matter what they said, no matter what they did, they could not stop me. Praise God. And don't you think that just because you decide to do something good for God, the devil is going to fold his hands and go to sleep. He's going to come after you. Because you are a major threat to him. Why would he bother with someone who's not a threat? Amen. And so he's going to throw everything that he has in order to stop you. You need to have the strength within. And if you do not submit to that process that God puts you through, you will not have the fortitude that it takes to stand. So listen carefully to what I'm sharing with you. Some of you right now are in, in a test, in a trial, and you're crying to God and you're asking Him to get you out of it. Rather, ask God to open your eyes to show you what's going on from His perspective rather than from your perspective. And when you see things from God's perspective, things change. In order to do... And, 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 and be able to have that spiritual fortitude, God takes us into the deserts. You see, the deserts, they speak of hard and difficult places. They're not comfortable to our flesh. They are places of discipline 
That's a dirty word. In many, many churches. Discipline. They are places of learning to obey God. Learning to deny self. And that's not an easy lesson to learn. And nobody dies with a smile on his face. Sometimes with tears. Because it's painful. I recall when my flesh was struggling and in pain. Struggles in my early years of marriage. I would go outside the house and I would cry. Hug a tree and I say, God, what are you doing? Thank God he opened my eyes. And I could see what he was doing. He was helping me to crucify that ugliness of selfishness and self-centeredness and the hardness that was built up within me as I was growing up and soften my heart and humble myself and serve my wife as a husband ought to serve his wife and love her as Christ loves the church. Today people don't want to fight for what is theirs. That's why we have so many divorces in the church. They don't want to fight for what is theirs. They don't want to put up a fight against the enemy that comes in to divide and destroy. They would just rather bail out. That is not the way of the disciple. The disciple faces on the challenges of life and overcomes by the grace of God. Amen. They are places where we learn the deserts to discern the voice of God from every other voice that comes at us. John the Baptist learned to discern the voice of God. So when they asked him, who are you? He was so accustomed to hearing the voice. And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. How did he know that? Because he saw it and he found himself in the scriptures. And he was so accustomed to hearing the voice of the, of the father that he said he identified so much. And when they asked him, he said, I am the voice of him who has come to prepare the way of the Lord. That's what the desert did for him. Listen to what the word of God says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning with verse 6. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. For what purpose? Why did God lead them into the wilderness? It was only a 12-day journey to go into the promised land. Why did the Lord take them through the wilderness? He tells them why. He says, to humble you. And to test you. To know what was in your heart. God knew what was in the heart. But they didn't know what was in their heart. And you do not really know what's deep down in your heart. Until you face the tough places. Until you are placed into tough situations. And you, and you pay attention to what comes out of you. Then you, wow, was that in me? Yeah, it was in you, but you didn't realize it. 
You only realize that when you were pressed and what was in you came out of you. So he says that may know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that a man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son or disciplines his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. The word chasten means to afflict suffering upon for purposes of moral improvement. Now this is not a happy message, but this will help you. This will feed your spirit and will kill your flesh. Amen? And then in verse 5 he says, Think about it, just as a parent disciplines a child. That's what it says in the New Living Translation. The Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. Another word for chastening is the word discipline. And here we read the same words in the New Covenant. You may come up and say, well, pastor, that's Old Covenant. Well, Hebrews is in the New Covenant, isn't it? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, My son, my daughter, is speaking to us, right? Are you a son? Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't disregard it. Don't despise it. Don't reject it. Don't run away from it. Embrace it as a son. Because if you don't, then you're not really a son. You are an illegitimate child. The Greek word for illegitimate is the word bastard. Hello. We have too many illegitimate children in the church. Why? Because they're not embracing, they're not accepting the discipline of the Lord. They would rather bail out. And I've seen them over and over again. You touch their flesh, they're out of there. They get upset, they get offended, they murmur, they grumble. They don't realize that God is dealing with them as children. Sad, but nevertheless true. Hello? Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Do not reject it. Do not run away from it. Nor be discouraged. Because the temptation to be discouraged is always there when God disciplines you. And he has a number of ways of disciplining us. I shared with you my own testimony with my own father-in-law before God opened my eyes to see who my father-in-law is and why God placed him there. I rebelled. I ran from it. I argued. I fought with him. And all the time God was disciplining me. But thank God he opened my eyes. And that's what we really need. Lord, give me sight that I may see things like you see it. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he does what? He chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Those are hard words. 
gorgeous, every son. Yes, God loves you as you are and He will always love you, but He does not leave you the way you are. He will work on you and He will work on you in a loving way, in a kind way, in a merciful way, in a gracious way. And He will never stop until He sees His reflection in you. Amen. For we are destined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That is the primary goal, to be more Christ-like. And God won't stop because He loves you too much. Amen? And then he says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons or daughters. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Glory to God. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but He for our profit that we might be partakers of His holiness. Now listen to this. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Discipline is always painful. Correction is always painful to the flesh. But a wise person will receive it graciously and with humility. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So discipline is for training when we receive it as such. So according to the Word of God, God takes every child of His through a process of discipline for the purposes of maturing us. Amen? You agree with that? Moses was disciplined and prepared in the deserts. Imagine, he was a prince in Egypt. He could have anything he wanted. And from a prince, he became a shepherd looking after his father-in-law's sheep. For 40 long years, God trained him in the desert. Joshua was trained and equipped way, again in the deserts. The children of Israel, after their exodus from Egypt, went where? Into the desert with Moses. And there they experienced the discipline of the Lord. What was going on? God was preparing them for what He prepared for them. You see, it's no good giving an inheritance to someone if He's only going to squander it. What's the use if you build an empire and you have sons and daughters that they are so immature and the moment they receive that inheritance, they squander it. And all you work for all your life goes wasted because the people who were destined to receive that inheritance were not trained, were not disciplined. They are not mature. They are still children. And that's what Paul says in Galatians. Though he's a son, 
If you are a child, you're still like a slave. Amen? It's only when we mature. So God was preparing the children of Israel for what He prepared for them. But unfortunately, that generation died in the desert without ever graduating, without ever entering the promise of God because they failed the training and the process God had put them through for the development of the character. Let me say something to you that's powerful. Do not curse your desert. Do not curse your wilderness. Your wilderness is a place of preparation for greatness. Embrace it. Scripture says John the Baptist became great. He was not born great, but he became great through the process the Lord put him through. So God places his greatness and his treasure in us through Christ when we get born again. But in order for this greatness to be released through us into this natural physical world, we go through a crushing, we go through a refining, we go through a disciplinary process so that the flesh is humbled and crucified. The mind is renewed and it releases this treasure freely and flowing into this natural physical world to bless and touch people's lives and bring restoration and healing to broken people. So this process is what we call discipline. And let me say this, God carefully tailors and plans our unique path and chooses carefully the people through whom He disciples and trains us in order to mature us and in order to bring the kind of people to bring us to the kind of people that He wants us to be. I mean, take an example from these great athletes that win gold medals in the Olympics in their sphere of expertise. They achieve greatness in their spheres of calling and gifting. Why? All of them have one common thing. They have competent and experienced coaches. Don't they? And they submit to the discipline and to the training the coaches give them. They're not allowed to eat what they want to eat. They eat what they are told to eat. Amen? They have to exercise so many hours a day whether they feel like it or not. We developed a culture in the church today that if we feel like it, we'll do it. If I don't feel like it, then I'm not called to do it. Hello. They are highly, highly disciplined people. Amen. You don't win medals by doing your own thing. Or whatever you think is best. You submit to the process of becoming a great athlete. You don't argue with your coach. You respect them and you submit to them and you put in the hours that are required. When God connected me to Pastor Ken, 
and impressed on my heart to walk with him and serve him as a father. Believe me, he was not someone I would gravitate to naturally. Not at all. You know, I would have looked to someone who was more gifted, more flamboyant, more charismatic, more prophetic, rather than the quiet, stable, wise, unassuming, and introvert personality like Ken was. You know, when I talked to the Lord about it, you know what he said? <clears throat> I complained a little bit. <laughs> he said, son, I gave you what you needed and what you wanted. God promised that he would meet all your needs. Hello, and that's just not financial. The kind of people that you need in your life, He will give them to you. You just got to have enough sense, spiritual sense, to recognize them. To receive and embrace and honor them. And value them because they are the most precious gifts you will ever have. They carry in them the keys to your destination. And when I looked at Pastor Ken's face, little did I know. And I knew that I was looking into my future. I learned a lot of things from him, not, not by teaching, through teaching, but through impartation, just walking with him. And God said, I gave you what you needed, son, so you can accept it and shut up about it. Or you can gripe and complain and miss the blessing. Let me say this. God may give you what you need. Wrapped up in a package you may not like. And he usually does that. <laughs> you will be stupid not to accept it. Because you don't like the package that comes in. What's important is not the wrapping. What's important is what's in the wrapping. Amen. Joseph matured by the things that he suffered. He submitted successfully to the process in order to qualify for what God prepared for him. See, Joseph was, yes, he was loyal, he was faithful, he was... He had dreams and visions, but there was a bit of pride in him. He boasted. You see how he shared his dreams. Hey, look at me. I'm going to be great. All of you are going to bow before me one day. God had to put him through a refinery process. <coughs> Excuse me. Get that pride out of him. The word of the Lord concerning Joseph says the following. Psalm 105, verse 19. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. You see, many of us don't like that word. God will test you to mature you. The devil will tempt you to destroy you. Or you could say, the word of the Lord disciplined him or chastised him. Now, I ask you this, if Joseph had a choice of the path or the process, 
of preparation God took him through. He would never have chosen that kind of preparation that God took him through. Never. But that is why I say to you, depending on the call of God on your life, what He has assigned you to do will determine the kind of preparation that God puts you through. And you cannot compare yourself with anybody else because you are unique, your calling is unique, your character is unique, the divine assignment is unique, and so the preparation and the path He chooses to take you through is also unique. And most times it is a path that you would never dream of. We just got to have enough sense to recognize it. God knew exactly what Joseph needed in order to prepare him for what God destined him. And he gave him exactly that. Was it comfortable? No, a thousand times no. How would you like being betrayed by your own brethren, sold as a slave, falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison? God knows exactly what you and I need to prepare you. God knows exactly the kind of people He connects you to walk with. And what you need to do is to trust the Lord. This is where faith comes in. The process God takes us through, my brother, my sister, requires faith, patience. Because it is through faith and it is through patience that we inherit the promises of God. It requires trust even though we don't understand what is going on. And there will be times in your life when you really don't understand why these things are happening. You don't understand what goes on. That's when you go to trust in the Lord. With all of your heart, lean not unto your own understanding. God knows what He's doing. You need to trust Him. You're in His hands. Amen. It requires trust. The test facing us may be challenging, may be severe, but listen to what God says. This promise has brought untold comfort during the years of my preparation. God would speak these words often to my spirit and infuse my spirit with courage and faith. God promises that He would not allow you to be tempted above your ability to bear. 1 Corinthians 10:13. But with the trial or the test, he would always make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He knows your breaking point. You do not. You think that you cannot take anymore. God says you can. Trust me. And I've learned this, the pressures we experience, the trials we face, have one goal in mind, just one, and that is to bring us to the end of ourselves, to the end of our self-reliance. They are not designed to break us, but they are designed to humble us. Every pressure, every test has this goal. To bring you to the end of yourself. Our greatest enemy is pride. Never forget that. 
And it's in every one of us. And it is hidden in the most spiritual one of us. Often undetected, but God sees the heart. God knows. And the essence of pride is self-reliance and self-confidence. It is trusting in ourselves rather than trusting in God. And God has a way of divorcing us from our self-confidence. Amen. And helping us face our weaknesses and our limitations. And Paul the Apostle explains this very well in the epistle to the Corinthians. He talks about the thorn in his flesh. So much teaching was done about this. And most of the teachings that I've heard I really don't agree with. He goes on to say, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. And three different times I begged the Lord to take it away, and each time he said, my grace is all you need, my power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ can work through me. And that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses, in my insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, that's when I am strong. Paul wanted the thorn removed, and he asked God to remove it three times, and God said, he didn't say no. He said, my grace is enough for you. Learn to cooperate with the grace within you so that you can overcome anything and everything this messenger of Satan is sending against you. So often we ask God to take away what He has commanded us to do. Say, you take my grace. You take my name. You take my word. And you take the authority that I've given you and overcome what the enemy is sending against you. God didn't say no. He said, you, Paul, learn to discover what I've placed within you. The grace and the power that is in you is more than enough to enable you to overcome whatever trial, whatever suffering, whatever affliction the enemy sends against you. Learn to trust not in your power, but in my grace that I've deposited within you. And that was the lesson that, that Paul learned. So he says, I've learned. I've learned to cooperate with the grace. Now I take pleasure in all of these things. For when all of these things come against me, I've learned how to cooperate with the grace and I overcome. When I am weak, then I am strong in the Lord. Self-confidence, self-reliance is one of those strong things that hinders the power of God from working in our lives and the grace of God from doing its job. Learning to cooperate with the grace, with the treasure that is within, is the key to victory. That's why he says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. Not just conquerors, more than conquerors through him who loved us. Praise God.
A.W. Tozer said the following, When I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like, it resolves a great deal of anxiety. During our own process of discipline and preparation for greatness, the scriptures encourage us to do one thing. Just one thing. Look to the Lord Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Not unto the trial. Not unto the crisis. Not unto what he said or she said. Look unto the Lord. Amen? Who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's read that. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Why? Because he didn't look at the cross. He looked at the joy after the cross. He looked at the things which were not seen. And he saw the joy that was to come. He saw the salvation of millions. And that's why he endured. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen to what it is. For consider him. Let me say this. If you are discouraged tonight or any other night. If you are tired. If you are mentally and emotionally exhausted, it's because you're considering something else other than the Lord Jesus and His Word. What you consider, it becomes greater. And your heart becomes receptive to it. The Word says, be careful what you think or what you consider. Because your life is shaped by your thoughts. Proverbs 4.23 in the Good News Translation. What you spend your time on thinking about, talking about, meditating about, will eventually possess you and overwhelm you. That is why the scripture says you must consider Him Who's Him? The Lord Jesus. Consider His promise. Meditate on what He promised you, what He said. And when you meditate and continually think about that, you will have the Word of God, the thoughts of God dominate your life and the direction and the course of your life. If you consider how great the trial of your faith is, you will be overcome with hopelessness and discouragement. You would think that you're the only one who goes, oh, nobody understands me. Not even my pastor understands me. Yes, I know what the word says, pastor, but you don't understand. No, I don't, I tell them. But Jesus does. And he's the one who said, consider him. Meditate on Him. Meditate on His Word. Spend time in His Word and consider Him. On the other hand, if you consider how great your God is, how wonderful His promises are, how vast and generous is His loving kindness, 
you will be filled with courage and you will be filled with faith. Hello? What are you considering tonight? What are you meditating on? When you go home, what are you thinking about? Before you go to sleep, what are your thoughts? What do you spend your time thinking on? When you get up in the morning, what are your first thoughts? When you drive to work, what do you meditate on? What you meditate on will dominate your life. Either the problem or the word. Your choice. Paul the Apostle by the Spirit he encourages us. And he gives us instructions to look beyond the natural. Beyond your present circumstances. And see the invisible glory that will be revealed in due time. He says in, first, in 2 Corinthians 4.16 Therefore we do not lose heart. And then why Paul we do not lose heart? And then he explains. Even though our outward man is perishing or decaying, yet the inward man, that's the real you, is renewed day by day. You're getting younger every day, not older. But you see, we are so dominated by the scene, dominated by what we feel. Our emotions have become our God. Rather than having the word of God control our thoughts, our emotions, the word of God is not subject to how you feel. Whether you feel like it or not, the word of God says you are being renewed day by day in your inward man. That's why he says we do not lose heart. And then he goes on to say, for our light affliction is but for a moment. <laughs> Moment. In the light of eternity, what you're going through is only for a moment. And he says, this light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for you. What is it doing? Is working a far more exceeding and weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. We must not be dominated by the natural physical world, but by the spiritual realm. Spiritual realities are more real than physical natural realities. Because this natural, natural world was birthed by the spirit world. He says, for the things which are seen are temporary. That means they subject to change at any moment. But the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, we consider Him. We meditate on His promises. We look not at the things which are seen and felt, but at the things which are not seen. How do we do that? By faith. Only by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by feelings. If I had walked by my feelings, I would not have been here this weekend. I would have stayed in bed and called Pastor Tim and said, Sorry, Pastor Tim, I can't make it. I feel sick. I can't stand on my feet. 
And there was moments that I couldn't stand on my feet. But we are to walk by faith, not by feelings. Amen. 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 Praise God. A while ago I was meditating and asking God to show me the real difference between the early disciples and us marshmallow modern Christians today. Yes, we are marshmallows. We don't take much heat. And this is what he showed me. The difference between us and the early disciples is they had such a revelation of God's love towards them. They were so excited about their salvation, the great plan of redemption. They were so excited about what they received in Christ. They were so excited about their destiny. They placed such high value on God and His Word to the point of considering anything and everything else as insignificant and of no real importance, no matter what was going on in their lives. They valued what was really valuable. They even called the sufferings, as we've read, momentary light affliction. And because of that revelation they had, they ran to their deaths singing hymns and praises to God. And their deaths brought many Romans to Christ because they never experienced or saw such courage in the face of death. What was it that empowered them? The reality of their great salvation. The reality of the great God they served. They were so in love and excited about Jesus that they considered everything else momentary light afflictions. And let me say this in closing. When you and I place real value on who our God is, on what He has already done through His grace for each and every one of us, we will be able to walk through life with our heads held high, our mouths filled with praise, and regardless of the circumstances or the trials we face. We will have a ready song in our hearts and in our lips, and we will exuberate and release this beautiful treasure that we have within us. One day I woke into the, uh, the dealer to service my car, and there was always the same lady there. She knew me, and uh, as I went there to sign my car in, she stopped and she started staring at me. I don't know what she was staring And then she said, what is it about you? I said, what do you mean? I said, she said, there's such calmness and peace. You are in so much peace. What is it? And I had an opportunity to witness to her about Jesus Christ. People want to talk, stop us in the shops, in the streets. What is that light shining on you? What is it that you can? And make them generous. You walk around with a sour face, 
with your name, down in the dumps. And every time somebody asks you, how you doing? And then, and then you regret asking them how you doing. And they start telling you about all the problems and all the sicknesses and all the trials. Woe is me. Say, oh God, why did I ask? Let the revelation of Christ, let the revelation of this treasure that God placed within you become the most important thing in your life. Value what God has done. Value God. Value His Word. Spend time in His Word. Renew your mind. Consider Him. Your trial will seem so insignificant and so temporary. That's the process. Allow God and say, Lord, I'm willing. Do whatever you need to do. I'm yours. Help me. Help me understand what you're doing so that I can cooperate with you. Show me the people you put in my life for my benefit, for my discipline. And I will gladly submit and go through the process so that I can come out on the other side. The quicker you submit, the less painful it will be. Amen? Don't die with the treasure within you. Don't be like the children of Israel that died in the desert without ever seeing the promised land. They saw it from afar, but they've never experienced it because they were rebellious. They were grumbling. They were complaining rather than cooperating with what God wanted to do in them and through them. Let's pray. Can you stand with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you we thank you for your wisdom tonight. Lord, I know you shared wisdom with us. You shared understanding and knowledge. And I thank you for receptive hearts. I thank you for divine impartation tonight, Lord. And I thank you for the grace that you have given to each and every one of us to be able to work with you. so that you may perfect that which you began within us. And as Paul said, I am confident, house of freedom, that he who has began a good work in you, he will finish it, he will complete it. Yes. He will not leave it unfinished. What God purposed for this house, come what may, he will complete and fulfill his purpose. No matter what, no matter how, no matter when, God's purpose cannot be thwarted. He will fulfill it. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.